A lot of the other Iranian movies are produced by the Revolutionary Guard. Or, you know, on the other side, you have Hollywood hit jobs, you know, you have Argos. You're listening to Cinema Rex, an Iranian film podcast. Episode 10, a Hollywood hit job special, Mike Newell's The Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Everybody, welcome to my house. Well, it's good to be at your house. This is our first podcast in person. Farhan, you're taller than I thought you'd be. Oh. And uh, much more beautiful. Oh, thank you. In person. Thank you. We have a special guest today. <laughs> you can hear by the sound of his voice. But before we formally introduce him, Kaveh, do you want to introduce the podcast? Durud Bashoma Dustana Aziz. This is Cinemax Podcast, where we talk all things Iranian film and cinema and acting and performance and writing. But this is our first of a new segment we will do occasionally called Hollywood Hit Jobs. Pew, pew, pew. So if this was um, if this was like going to be a title in a series, we'd call it Cinema Rex colon Hollywood Hit Jobs. Pow, pow. <laughs> um, Farin, you've brought a seagull in with us today. <laughs> yeah, from outside. Yeah. <laughs> would pew, you pew, like pew. to Would I, you like to introduce your seagull? Well, did you introduce yourself, Kave? I'm Kave Mohebi. I'm Farhan Moradi, and with us today, live in our studio with no audience, is Navid Aga. Navid, thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me, guys. Um, first of all, um, can I swear up in this bitch? No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've let a few in. I've let a few. Yeah, but in. I cut them out. Oh, never mind. So it'll then. just make more work for me. I'll try my best not to swear. This is going to be difficult. Kavid, do you have a little bio for Navid? Who is Navid? What is Navid? I discovered um, what is formerly known on his Instagram as Aha Navid Aha, which is already a very funny Instagram title. He was showed up. He showed up as like my Instagram things you might enjoy. You know when like Instagram curates a, thing, a bunch of things that are like either going viral or people are like commenting on, and you just kind of see like, oh, based on your interest, these are might be things you like. And so I saw this like peculiar looking gentleman who was doing funny things in various outfits, and I was like, this is funny. Let me click what this is. And he essentially, I first got exposed to him as like an Instagram comedian who does the, the Instagram sketches as one does playing multiple characters, cutting to different versions of himself and writing really funny comedic sketches. And I thought, man, this guy is really, really funny. Then one day, you and I, Farhan, had a meeting to discuss certain production stuff in general before, way before the podcast started. And you were the one who actually first informed me that he is a Torontonian. Essentially, he's from Newmarket. But oh, man, I'm Torontonian, bro. <laughs> Eh, I mean, I'm Richmond Hill, and I, I don't even make the cut. You call yourself Torontonian all the time, though. Because I've lived there until like a what, year What, so ago. the cutoff is your house, but not Navi's house? Longevity. Actually, it took me two hours to drive here with the traffic. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not Torontonian at all. And this is Midtown. It's not even downtown Toronto. Well, you know, yeah. you know what they say about Toronto? Toronto is an hour away drive from Toronto. This is true. Traffic. So then I, after I, I got to know him in person, I realized he's a very, very funny comedian and actor who has played in... He's has had roles in uh, Children Ruin Everything. He's been a lot. He's done a lot of commercial work and realistic. And I, you've recently played one of the leads in a short that I wrote that was directed by Meritage. And I think you're one of my go-to de facto comedic uh, voices in the Iranian space. You make me laugh all the time. I'm a huge fan, and I'm happy to have you here. You're making me blush. No, I'm not. I'm looking right at you, and I can tell you're not <laughs> blushing. Well, I mean, I'm blushing somewhere else. <laughs> not not um, in the face. Wait, so, uh, Aga welcome to Cinema Rex podcast guys thank you so much for having me first of all um let me just say congrats on uh being the most successful iranian film podcast of all time thank you very much thank yeah. you every other podcast that's listening to this 
suck it. Can I say that? No, I, I don't know. We'll Jesus. have to check the sensor. Um, the sensor board. The FCC might come. You down guys are doo doo heads. There you go. That's yeah. a good. My go to insult is doo doo head. Doo doo head. Doo doo head like has a ring to it. Kavit, <laughs> <laughs> why? What? What are we doing for our special tenth episode? Why? Yeah. So I mean, I guess we talked about this when we were first thinking about the movies we were gonna do. Obviously, it was all going to be contained within the sphere, sphere of uh, Iranian films. But you once first sort of pitched me. I don't even know if half jokingly or not, but you're like, we should do Prince of Persia. And my first instinct was absolutely not because it's an Iranian film. But as you and I have sort of ran into some obstacles during our journey as Iranian filmmakers, uh, we sort of realized that there is a common trope of um, there's a common trope cultural of cultural appropriation, appropriation happening. We've done this, we've we've talked with a lot of Iranian filmmakers who feel the same way, especially when it comes to Iranian filmmaking. And when we started making the list of films that fall into this category of what Ali Abbasi called Hollywood hit jobs, we were like, yeah, there's a lot of films that have sort of just appropriated Iranian culture, Persian culture, and sort of made it their own. From Argo, Not Without My Daughter, House of Sand and Fog, Persian Lessons, Tehran on Apple Plus. What were you going to add? 300. 300 is a perfect example. We're going to do that for a future episode. Well, that's a Persian film, though. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry to inform you, Navi. It's actually not. What? Yeah, I know. It's surprising. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. It's also an educational podcast. And today's film that we're going to cover, Prince of Persia. This is no ordinary dagger. Releasing the sand turns back time. Only the holder of the dagger is aware of what's happened. Did you see that? We'll talk a little bit about why we consider this these films Hollywood hit jobs. But I, I think one of the reasons Navi is a good guest to have is... It's a dumb film. And um, you guys are like, what, who, who should we get for this, for the dumbest episode of the Cinema Rex podcast? Oh, we I know a guy. It's Navi. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, it, but also because we're going to poke fun of the movie. But also what I really respect about your career so far is that you made a conscious effort to make all of your content. I guess not all, maybe 99% of your content is in Farsi, in Persian. Yeah. In, in a, you know, knowing that like the mass majority of people who do this, even a lot of Iranians who do this stuff, they do most of the time in English. But you living in Canada, I've decided I'm making something for Iranian people that is deliberately going to exclude non-Farsi speaking individuals. And in the comedy sphere, I think that's a bold stance to take. One I respect greatly, but I wonder if you can talk a little bit about when you came to that decision and kind of why. Yeah. So I wanted to um, gain as a few followers as possible, as little followers as possible, and make as little money as I could. Yeah. So I decided to go, to, uh, you know, in the Farsi route, and that was that was the biggest thing. And then um, also, I find Farsi to be funnier than English. Like most of the jokes that we say, even when we're hanging out with friends and things, uh, we say a lot of, you know. We when we talk Farsi, you guys don't much. Sorry, what? That wasn't that wasn't a diss, but um, we just don't speak Farsi with you. Whoa, yeah, that's that's we're that's speaking not in nice. Farsi right now. But why am I? How am I? We're in the same room. Yeah, is it because I have headphones on? No, well, it's the I, have, I have a smart system in my house that translates everything while you're speaking. So that's very smart. Yeah, yeah, I can actually switch to Japanese. Switch it now. I'm speaking Japanese. Oh my god, you speak Japanese, bro? Gobi, can you speak Japanese too? Um Oh my god, he's speaking <laughs> Japanese, bro. 
That's crazy. Wow. So what was what was what was I talking about? Oh yeah. Uh why I made uh content in Farsi. Basically, like Farsi stuff is funnier than English stuff. That's what I've thought. You know what I mean? <laughs> I get the sense as I'm watching you do this right now that you're like realizing in real time that you should have done this all in English. Yeah. Stuffing <laughs> upon you mid podcast. Literally, I'm having a breakdown right now. Huh? This is uh Navi starts crying. Yeah. I'm like every single like video that I've made <laughs> is playing back in my mind right now and I'm like, wow, it should have You do you have them <laughs> subtitled in English at least? Some of them. He started you just started re- you didn't at first, I think at all. No, no, I didn't do it at first. Um I did subtitles for like a handful of videos, but most of them are like Farsi specific jokes. You know what I mean? So yeah, like right. English speakers wouldn't even get the jokes. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm lazy anyways. So I'm like, I don't need to do the subtitles. A lot of people say, hey, do subtitles. I'm like, no. What has your experience been like making this? Do you find that you find a lot of Iranians that message you and they're like, oh, this is really funny. I enjoy that you do this. Like- yeah, because you, you now have almost 36,000 followers. Yeah, I mean, I've been at that number for a long time. <laughs> it's not going up. Yeah, I get a lot of people saying they like my videos and, um, you know, I do talk to them a lot too. Like I've talked to probably like 2000 of the followers. They, they've hit me up and I'm like, Oh, I talked to them mm. because I have nothing else to do. You know, <laughs> mostly that. And also I want, um, the positive feedback. I have yeah. a psychological problem. <laughs> Your channel also doubles as a dating app. Then if you're reaching out to all these people, it does. About- um, yeah. Have you, have you had people reach out to you and ask for like, uh, collaborations or Iranian businesses reach out and be like, hey, will you promote us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had like people like asking for ads, like like advertise their stuff. Mm. But I don't do that. First of all, because, well, I, was, I wasn't doing it at first because it was, my page was fresh. And um, I don't mean like, yo, fresh. <laughs> fresh page, dog. No, I mean, like, I just started it, and it would have been weird to promote someone else. So, wait, you had just started, and people were already trying to advertise on your channel? Yeah, because when I started, like, after a month, I went to, like, 20,000 followers or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, I reached an equilibrium. Right. As you can see, yeah. But, yeah, so people were asking if I wanted to promote their stuff. And I said, you know, it's going to be kind of a cheap move for my followers if i promote Mm. someone else's thing Mm -hmm. they don't want to come see that Mm. and then afterwards um other people like recently sort of they're they're saying hey can we advertise our stuff and um but they're in iran Mm. so if you you know the money that comes here from that advertising, it's gonna be like 20 bucks right yeah yeah Well, well okay just to wrap up the hollywood hit jobs thing I think there's like a really weird thing happening in Hollywood. It's happening less so now, but it's especially in the nineties and two thousands, mm. there was like a huge fetishization of Iranian culture, whether mm-hmm. it be oh, ancient Persian culture or Iranian diasporic stories. And that whole thing of, we want to tell your stories, the political intrigue, the art, the history the culture. Mm-hmm. And we want to filter it through a British or, um, there's a Russian director, the guy, I'm pretty sure he's Russian, the guy who does uh, Persian Lessons, the House of Sand and Fog director. Mm. 
is constantly like just filtering our stories through a Hollywood machine and spitting out pretty subpar content. And they kind of feel like it's under the veil of like, oh, well, look at us. We're not telling stories about terror. We're not making them terrorists anymore. It's like, well, yeah, but you're like watering down our stories and our culture mm. and our people. And it's it's frustrated me. I know it's frustrated you a lot. Mm -hmm. We know other directors. I'm not going to call them out, but we've had conversations with other directors who are very frustrated by this. Mm -hmm. And the, our Hollywood hit job series is essentially going to be calling out these filmmakers and calling out these movies. Yeah. And discussing it like we normally would do a normal film. But the reason you might notice this heading and be like, Prince of Persia, yes, it has Persian title, but is that an Iranian film? Technically, no, but it falls under the guise of all things Iranian cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I, I think that something that we're starting to see more of now is either non-Iranians who are making Iranian content and are like, oh, we have consultants on the project, or oh, we have a co-writer, but they're not willing to share the actual writing credit, or they're not willing to bring them on as a director, or they're not willing to bring on, like they're like, oh, our one of our costume designers or like someone in the wardrobe department is Iranian. It's like, okay, but yeah, it's like, okay, but what about the like, the creative lead of the art department the production designer are they iranian is your cinematographer iranian i don't care if your cam ops iranian what about your editor what about your music composer music's a big one because a lot of times you see an iranian movie and they're like playing arabian nights underneath it and you're like this doesn't even sound close to iranian music you know what i mean so for me it's kind of like how do you ensure that you have authentic Iranian representation that has an equal creative say in the project? Even just in, in recent industry, I'm going to call out a, a Canadian director for this, uh, Michelle Latimer. Michelle Latimer made a short film um, about Iranians, and the writer was also not Iranian. She's not Iranian. And that, to me, is also very problematic. Isn't Michelle Latimer also the director who had been called out for her suspicious... Yeah, her indigenous identity, but... like That's the same... You're talking about the same the Michelle same Latimer person. made a film yeah, about yeah, the same person. I mean, I'm not going to get into the... No, no, let's not get into the indigenous... The, yeah, the like, indigenous, the indigenous identity people. stuff. Like, there's a lot about that, which you can go and read. Other indigenous filmmakers have already called out that side. But I do think that it's on... It is our part to call out the fact that she extracted creative wealth from Iranians. I didn't know that. Yeah. W what short film? It was based on a novel written by a Lebanese writer. Okay. So a Lebanese writer wrote this Iranian Did at any film. Point, any Iranian have anything to do with this? As far film? as I know, and someone can correct us and let us know and we'll we'll like put out a correction. But as far as I know, none of the key creatives were Iranian. And like a show like Tehran has the same problem where I've called them out on Twitter and the showrunner had the gall to respond and be like, no, we have a, a, a Iranian consultant in the wardrobe department. And I'm like, what? Like, Yeah, so your hats are accurate. <laughs> yeah. The hats of background. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, it's like they take our stories, but it's just this is just an ongoing thing. Yeah. And it's kind of annoying and frankly insulting. No, it is. No, I'm fine with it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, they, that's probably why they're doing this. Navi's yeah. just Navi's going around. Allowed the, Navi's, Navi's opened like, the door. Yeah, he's like, I'm not making any money on my Instagram, but at the very least. You know what the consultant you're talking about? I'm that guy. <laughs> they talk to me. On all the shows. Yeah, he's all the, the shows. On I'm the guy. And they're like, hey, um, we're doing like a 500 BC uh, period piece. 
Um, <laughs> can we use Muslims? I'm like, hell yeah, bro. Like, yeah, dude. Well, yeah, go for it. Go why for not? it. Yeah. Do it. Like, I'm you Muslim-ish. do you, boo. <laughs> I'm Muslim adjacent. Yeah, mu- Muslims, I mean, they came around like a thousand years after that, but yeah, it's probably really fine. Yeah, no one's going to know. History. And that's why you're so wealthy now, Navi, all the consulting jobs you've yeah. done. Yeah. I am like about to cry right now. <laughs> cry for how mouth. rich I am. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, let me dive into a plot summary before we uh, continue this discussion further. I'm sure we'll come back to it because there's lots to be said about the behind the scenes. With your permission. Now, Prince of Persia, the Sands of Time. Adopted from the streets of Nasaf by King Shadowman of Persia, young Dustan grows up <laughs> amongst royalty and quickly earns his place as a mighty warrior and prince. What is so funny? I thought you said King Shalram. <laughs> Shalram means uh, King Shalram. Was it turnip? Turnip or beet? Or, yeah, I think it's oh, turnip, turnip or beet. Yeah, turnip. Yeah. As his brothers Garcib and Tus planned battle strategies, a spy sends word that the holy city of Alamut has been supplying weapons to enemies of Persia. Taking matters into his own hands, Tus orders an attack on the sacred city, and upon its fall, Dustan encounters the beautiful princess Tamina. When King Shalram dies under mysterious circumstances shortly after, and Dustan is accused of his murder, he flees with the princess on a harrowing mission to clear his name, mistakenly taking with him a mystical dagger that can control the very fabric of time. Learning from Tamina the true motives behind Alamut's invasion, Dustan learns that it was his uncle Nizan, 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 who has betrayed him and the king. In hopes of ob- <laughs> in hopes of obtaining the dagger himself and changing the past to fit his favor, Dustan and Tamina must embark on a perilous quest to stop his uncle's villainous plot, which unknow- unknowingly would end all of humanity. It has a Rotten Tomatoes score of thirty six percent and an audience score of fifty eight percent. So, Aha Navid Aha, I ask you, what did you think of Prince of Persia, Sands of Time? So, first of all, let me correct you on um, on one thing, yes. sir. Okay. Yep. It's not Dostan, it's Dastan. 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 Dustin. It's Dustin. Dastan. Or Dostan? No, I was I was told it's Dastan. Is what Dastan? I was told. That's what I was told. Like multiple hands? No, no, I guess. Yeah. But it's because Rostam. Rostam. Yeah. Rostan and Dastan, right? It's Dastan, it's story. No, it's not. Someone put that on the Wikipedia, but they're wrong. It's not it's not Dastan. I thought it was. I don't think so. So what's the what's the name again? Dastan is what I was told. Dastan. Yeah. Oh, cool. Because that's like the title that's given to Rostam and Shahnameh. Like most of the names in the in the film are taken from Shahnameh. They're, the pronunciation is just butchered to the point where Iranians don't know what the heck they're referencing. Even they're like, King Shalram? <laughs> Even King Shalram. Shalram? Yeah. But like, that's the problem is like, right off the bat, we don't know how to say anybody's names. And depending on how you pronounce something, it could be the title of a hero or it could be multiple hands or it could be story. Like, we don't know what his name is supposed to be. We can only guess. But my thinking is it's probably Rustam's title. But I don't know. Um, oh, you asked me a question. How yeah, I liked okay. how uh, what? So I liked it and hated it at the same time. Okay, <laughs> I think that's the feeling that's it's supposed to invoke in you. And yeah, and, and that's it. <laughs> no, so so the part of me that enjoys popcorn flicks, which is most of me. <laughs> <laughs> You're ninety five percent popcorn. Like ninety five percent of me. 
Which is which is a lot. The top ninety five percent or the bottom ninety five percent? The bottom. <laughs> yeah, ninety five. Like a little bit of the five percent is in my brain still. You know that five percent? Yeah. So which is like an intellectual. Yeah. By the way, all right. So that part of me, which is not totally stupid. Yeah. Didn't like the film. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm not disrespecting people who like the film, uh, but I am. I'm disrespecting you. Okay. Because you like... But I did like the film too. So I'm disrespecting myself. I'm disrespecting my 95%. Okay, I see. Yeah. The 5% is disrespecting disrespecting the 95%. Um, Why didn't you like it and why did you like it? So I... Wait, why don't you start with what you liked about the film? I I liked acting. I think it was pretty solid acting. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd agree with that, actually. It didn't have crappy actors. Yeah, I get what you mean by solid acting. You know what I mean? Um... (laughs) <laughs> some might say the actors were not bad yeah yeah and but then like i didn't like the weird there's there were so many errors like every scene had continuity errors oh yeah oh, like almost, technical continuity all, yeah, almost every scene bro and i'm not even like a director or anything mm. um and there was like weird plot points and stuff that i didn't understand mm-hmm. maybe that's just because i don't understand much like in general but anyways no i'm an intellectual farn what do you think of prince of persia the sands of time okay the first i remember the first time watching it i think i like tricked myself into liking it because i was like oh this is great we have like iranians in this action adventure movie and it was slated to be like the next pirates of the caribbean like this was meant to start a franchise and then it didn't happen and i grew up playing the video games too so i played the original side scrollers i played the original Sands of Time, like the the Xbox, PS2, GameCube era Sands of Time. What, 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 what were all those nerd things you just said? You I have no idea game? what you just said. Was it? Uh, this was a video what game. Was it game Box Cube Cube thing? It was originally a video game. I played the video game. I really liked it. And watching the movie, I was like, "Oh, this is." Rewatching it now, I was like, "Oh, this is this is not it." And I noticed, like you, there were a lot of continuity errors. Like, you're watching from one shot, someone's, like, picking up the dagger, and then the next shot, they've already handed it to someone, and you're like, what What just happened? Which I suspect a lot of it was recut and re-edited so that they could make it a shorter film. Um, the I love the fact that Alfred Molina and Ben Kingsley are once again playing Iranians. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that note down. <laughs> They're, like, Hollywood... Has gone through such lengths to avoid hiring Iranians that they're they've cycled through the non-Iranians available to do these roles, and they're now it's coming full back circle again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's full circle. They've laughed. They've forgotten that Kingsley and Molina are not Iranian. And yeah, they're like, well, let's get those Iranians who played the Iranians last time. They're like, oh yeah, yeah Ben Kingsley and Alfred Molina. Yeah, like exactly. Let's yeah. get those two Iranians. Yeah, they. I mean, the 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 words of things are all wrong or pronounced incorrectly. The the half the cities are fake the only way i could justify it is for me i was like okay well i have to think of this like lord of the rings where it's not real where this is a fantasy world or like game of thrones where this is a fantasy world and they're drawing inspiration from persian mythology and and iranian history there were still like tons of little things so like even just watching it as as a film that had crazy lapses for example Everyone in the film has a 
was it like received pronunciation, like uh, the British accent, like the the one that the royals use, except for Jake Gyllenhaal. He has a Cockney accent. And I don't know if that's because he's supposed to be like, oh, that's the street kid. But he was like seven when they when they when the king adopted him. So he should have that that uh, the same accent as everybody else. But I think that might actually just be more of a that's the accent Jake Gyllenhaal could do. <laughs> Everyone else is speaking like the queen and Jake Gyllenhaal comes in. And he's like, oh, yeah, to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just I wish it was better. And I think part of it, too, at the time was. Because this came out after 300. And so when 300 came out and there were just so many jokes and racist comments directed at me and my other Iranian friends, especially in high school, that I was like, man, we just need like one cool Iranian movie. And I was hoping that Prince of Persia would be it. And it just fell on its face. It was not marketed well. It made very little money. And overall, the movie was just fine. I uh, agree with a lot of what you had to say. I think the greatest sin, aside from the uh, cultural appropriation, is the story has a lot of logic flaws. Like, there's a lot of logic stuff that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. For example, one point is, like, he realizes that Ben Kingsley wants the dagger. Mm -hmm. And then instantly gets this flashback to when they were both kids and the tiger saved. He saves his brother from the tiger. So he's like, oh, my father told me a story about one time Ben Kingsley saved his life. from It's like, people's lives are so multifaceted and complicated and so many other small details He's confident this is the exact moment he wants. He's like, why? You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. there, like Ben Kingsley never outwardly says that that's the moment he wants to go back and change, right? Mm-hmm. But Jake Gyllenhaal's like, we have to stop him because if we don't, he's going to reverse time so far back to this moment when he was a... It's like, why? Why do you think... Like, there's no proof that that's what he, he wants He could literally do. just kill the, everyone who's left. In yeah. fact, wait a second. Come to think of it, he did kill the brothers. The king's dead. The brothers, literally everybody died. So he's already the king. Yeah, and I got a question. Um, when um, uh, Dastan took the dagger, right, yeah. and he was showing it to Toss, yeah, Toss, is it Toss or Toss? I don't know. It's Balls. <laughs> yeah, he was showing it to uh, Prince Toss, <laughs> Prince Ball. Yeah, the Bald Prince and Ben Kingsley, uh, Nazam, Shazam, <laughs> Shazam. <laughs> Uh, nez, 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 when he um when he came to um you know talk to them Jillian Hall and Toss. Wait, sorry. That's 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. and Toss. Yeah. Yeah. Like Daston didn't know what the dagger was, right? So Nizam could have been like, hey yo, let me let me hold that the knife yeah. there for a second. Psych! I'm keeping it. And that's the end know, of the story. That's time would be like, oh. Well, that's the other thing. Okay. Too, when I first thought it was the king that had betrayed him, when it was t- first they make you think it's Tuss, right? That Tuss has betrayed him, which I, at the time was like, why did he give, like, because he had the sword in his, he had the dagger in his hand, and he's like, I take this as homage. And then Ben Kingsley comes and goes, ah, oh, you think you've won enough homages before, homage or whatever they want to call it. And he gives it back to him. I was like, if the king wants the thing he had in his hand in that moment, he just gives it back to Jake Gyllenhaal. So I was like, that doesn't make sense. But at the same time, Ben Kingsley could, yeah, like you're saying, he could have just taken the dagger that moment. Yeah, it could have been like, yo, that's done. Like, I mean, let me see that. Let me see that. Let me hold it for a second. Yeet. Boom. And just run away. And that's time would be like, oh, uncle, you're up to some crazy stuff. The one thing I started realizing the potential for this that was completely wasted was the first time time reverses, 
in that little tr- uh, little like the first moment with Tamina when he like I was like this is a cool moment. Yes. And this reminded me of like the Tom Cruise movie Edge of Tomorrow yeah. or Live Die Repeat. Yeah. And I kept thinking throughout the movie, like, why don't they do this more? Why don't they create way more scenes? They like yeah. use it that one time. There's like the snake attack scene. He uses it. There's a time he does it to prove to his brother by stabbing himself. Mm-hmm. And then like once more towards the end. But it's like, this is such a cool kind of a back to the future-esque sort of yeah. dynamic of like, you could see the future, use it here. And I know they they made the excuse of like, we have only a certain amount of sand. Yeah. But they could have just great, like said like, oh, she has X amount of sand. Well, no, so we they, get to keep they should just use the the solution from the video game. Have you played the video game? So the way that you get more sand in the game is at the beginning of the game, the vizier, who's basically the uncle character in this, unleashes the sands of time. So that big hourglass you see at the end of the movie, that happens at the beginning and he unleashes it. And that basically starts spreading across the world and turning everybody into these sand zombies. It, it basically emits from the center point, and as, it's, as it gets further and further away, as the game progresses, more and more people get turned into these sand zombies. And so whenever you kill a sand zombie with your dagger, it extracts the sand from that person, uh, from that creature, cool. and it goes into the dagger. So, yeah, now that would have been worse. <laughs> but then you can keep doing the, you can keep doing the thing. Like time travel and zombies? <laughs> yeah. And Jake Gyllenhaal? Yeah. Being Persian? Yeah. Whoa. Too much. No disrespect for the the gaming community out there. Let me ask you a question, because I've only played the original side-scroller, the very first one, which I liked a lot. The very first pixelated one, I I played that for hours as a kid. But now that we're talking logic stuff, can you explain this to me? I don't get the ending at all, because I thought the moment he stabs that into the hourglass... So it's to destroy the the world, right? destroy the world. So it just doesn't happen? I I think... The way that I understood it, my sister and I had this conversation too, is that it destroys that timeline. So, I mean, every time you use the dagger, it destroys that timeline too, because that's what rewinding time is. Mm. No, I think he pulled out. <laughs> well, I wondered if it was supposed to be like he does something because he like hits, he releases the sand from the knife at the same time. I don't know. But, okay, so I'm right, right? That's just because well, the, the thing is, here's the thing when it, when, when he launches the, when he unleashes the, the sands of time at the very end, right? We see it destroy everything. And then when he goes back in time, it undoes it. But we already know that that's going to happen. Like, that is the logic of reversing time anyway. Yes. It gets reversed. So, so maybe threat- it's just like, maybe it's just an empty threat. Because it seems like the uncle, like, pish posh that idea anyway. I think, like, he used the dagger while it was in the... Thing, in the hour, yeah. In the hourglass, whatever. He used it for long enough to reverse whatever. Yeah. And then pulled it out. Yeah. So that the whole thing didn't get destroyed. Uh-huh. You know? But then, this is very stupid. Everything is stupid, so I don't know. <laughs> the thing is, if the uncle had kept going back, it would have also reversed it. Like, it doesn't make sense. The only way I can make sense of it is that it, the the prophecy was like, an empty warning to prevent people from messing with time. Hold up. The prophecy. Why did the gods give the dudes time travel? Mm. Why did the sand that was going to destroy everyone? What, what was it? Sand of time. Sands of time. Sands of time. Yeah. It's not one sand. <laughs> there are many sands. There's one. It's one grain. Pebble of time. Yeah. Why did they give them time travel? Who knows? Hey, man. No. Let's focus on this. Okay. This is... 
I don't know. Maybe I lost sleep over. Maybe it was stolen. Maybe it was stolen from the gods. It's very similar to the movie uh, Next. Have you ever heard of that movie with um, Nicolas Cage? Yes, mm, I have I've, not. I've watched it. You have seen it too. I only heard it one. I only watched it because I heard the ending is bonkers, and I watched. it. I'm going to spoil the movie Next for everyone listening and for you, Farn. But basically, he has the ability to see the future. Like that's his. That's Nicolas Cage's power. Mm-hmm. And then the whole movie takes place, and he's trying to stop this nuclear bomb from going off or something, and he can't stop it. At the end of the day, the end of the movie, the nuclear bomb goes off and destroys the entire planet. Mm. And then it rewinds back to like 10 minutes into the movie and you realize that all was a vision he had seen. So most of the movie didn't happen. It's like it was all a dream, except it was all a vision. Interesting. And this is this too, where it's essentially one of those gimmicks of the movie didn't happen. We watched all this stuff. We watched an hour and 55 minutes of this movie and it didn't didn't happen. I mean, that's that's sort of how the video game works out too. Because the video game, the but but I think the the stakes are different in the video game. Because when the video game starts, within minutes everything just gets destroyed and then you're fighting through this post-apocalyptic world throughout the entire game and like the first thing that one of the first things that you have to do is kill your own dad because he gets turned into like a sand zombie i also don't know why like why adapt that video game and change the story so much or even change the names of the character like you would have to make an effort to come up with new stuff you know that the the story from the game did well with audiences do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's already it's already like proven market research. Yeah, but they want they wanted to make it more historically and culturally accurate. <laughs> so they called you. Yeah, and this is what you came up with, Navi. I told them. I told them, yo, no uh, zombies. Hire uh, the whitest woman. Call her Tamina. Yeah, Tamina. Yeah, I think so. Tamina, and uh, you're good. You're Gucci. You're gold. You're good to Nothing go. Nothing else. Good to go. You don't need anything. No else. sand zombies. Nope. Uh, two more things I want to say. I like the shout out to the whirling dervish, the uh, dervish, the, the whirling, the, this. Yeah, yeah. When that's really, I just like that element of like they just had like a slight shot where you have a whirling dervish, just like yeah. Around. Well, because it's the the hashashin or whatever, right? Yeah, but so I just loved it. Well, because they were they as far as I know, I'm gonna fact check this because I know someone's gonna hit me up in my DMs and be like Hassan scenes, Hassan, Hassan assassins. Yeah. Hassan Hassan. So they were they were Ismailis. They had a lot of Sufis who would also pass through and Darvishes who would pass through the area. Um and they were sort of secretive, and as a result, there was a lot of rumors around them. They were basically a group of spiritually enlightened scholars by their own like definition of what they did. Uh, but they were also a group of um like hitmen, essentially. And they would try to invent new types of weaponry, new types of poisons and concoctions and stuff. They were basically R&Ding new types of weaponry yeah. so that they could take out targets. And so some of their targets included political rivals, kings, princes, um, other religious figures, prominent people in the public sphere. People started to create this um, this narrative that they were all potheads, basically, and they were demon worshippers. So their name of uh, Hassassin was turned into Hashashin because they're like, oh, because they smoke hash. But I think the original term of Hassassin comes from the name of the founder, which is Hassan Esaba. And their order, the Assassin's Order, was also the inspiration behind the video game Assassin's Creed. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you should also mention that that... The term assassin also. Yeah. Forget the game. The term assassin is also derived. Yeah. The word assassin, like when someone's like, oh, they were assassinated. 
there's an assassin, assassination, all of that comes from this order. Okay, let's move on. No. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Good episode, everybody. Uh, but honestly, like, um, so the whole Haishashins ha- and stuff, like, cool. But in the world of the movie, Islam wasn't introduced yet mm-hmm. to the world, right? Was it not? No. no 1100 AD. Well, when does the movie take place? 400 to 500 AD. Oh, it does? Something like that, right? I'll get in the behind the scenes. Yeah. Okay. So Islam wasn't introduced but they have the hashashin. And also, <laughs> every time you say that, you say it like you're <laughs> like you're high on <laughs> And also, they had like Islamic architecture. Yeah, as well. Yeah, they have tons of Islamic you know I mean? architecture. Literally, the Sufis like it's, yeah, the, yeah. the Darvish is yeah, just yeah, yeah. Uh, twirling. Yeah, like why are you twirling? Twirling yeah. wasn't invented yet. <laughs> no one twirled. Before. No one twirled. No one twirled. <laughs> Dancing was not twirling. You know the 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 Persians in the film uh, speak Arabic. By the way, the soldiers. You know? Some some Moroccan. spoke Farsi. I noticed some of them spoke in Farsi. Like in the in the like um, the Walla is what it's called. It's when there's background speaking happening. Some of that was in Persian. Uh, and also, um, was eye makeup a big thing back in? Iran? No, I think that's part of the brown face because we have long mm-hmm. eyelashes and we have big bags. So I think a lot of it was. Big bag. <laughs> bags under your eyes. <laughs> That's the special effects department that does yeah, the big, big bags. bags. So <laughs> they, uh, everyone has a spray tan, and then they have like eyeshadow to to uh, simulate the bags, and then they have like eyeliner and mascara and you stuff to make their eyelashes look longer. Eyeliner. Yeah, yeah. Ben Kingsley was looking nice <laughs> with that eyeliner. Right? Yeah, you know? yeah. What? Yeah. Hmm? Hmm. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Behind the scenes in trivia. This is a, this is the scene where we talk about uh, all the behind the scenes in trivia. Mostly stuff that I'll find off IMDb and I'll read it to you and you guys react. Wow. <gasps> None of the actors are of Persian descent. Jake Gyllenhaal and Gemma Arterton. Arterton. <laughs> are of partial Jewish descent. Alfred Molina is of Spanish and Italian descent. Sir Ben Kingsley is Anglo-Indian descent. Steve Toussaint is Barbadian descent. Reese Ritchie is... Of partial South, yeah. So no Iranians. That's a fun. Uh, ben Kingsley is part Indian. Yeah, Anglo-Indian. Oh, I thought I just heard the same thing. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> in February 2008, Iranian star Golshifta Farahani was invited to do a screen test in London along with Gemma Arterton for the role of Tamina. She was arrested at the airport and banned from leaving the country for six months because she'd played a role in Ridley Scott's Body of Lies, 2008. Oh, so she what? was up to audition for the role. Which would have been the only Iranian in there. They're like, well, we tried, and they all got arrested. Mentions of God or the Creator are references to Zoroastrianism, the religion practiced by Persians until Islam became popular. Zoroastrianism does not have a concrete concept of hell, despite Nizam mentioning it. Zoroastrianism. 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 Tamina worships an unnamed set of gods, which are briefly presented in juxtaposition to Dastan's beliefs. Dastan is a name from Ferdowsi's Shahnameh. That means the trickster. Is that correct? Because I thought Dostan meant story. Oh, yeah. Sorry. It's not Rostam's nickname. That's right. You're Rostam right. Rostam the trickster. It's, it's, but it is. I think it's still Dostan. I'm going to look oh, it up. I'm, I'm going to fact check right now. So no one no one DM me. Do you get fact check DMs or am I the only one? You. Nobody has qualms with things I say. Okay. Okay. I see. It is a title because his dad's name is Dostan. Rostam's dad's name. I see now. The role of the prince, Dastan, was first offered to 
several actors, including Orlando Bloom and Zac Efron. Psh, Jake Gyllenhaal expressed regret in appearing in the film, Psh, but perhaps it's up for debate, not for cultural appropriation reasons. In hindsight, Jake Gyllenhaal admitted that headlining such a big-profile blockbuster film was not for him. It would take over 10 years before he would commit to a similar kind of film, namely Spider-Man Far From Home, in which he played a supporting role. In appearing in the film in 2019 interview with Yahoo Entertainment, he said, I think I learned a lot from that movie, in which I spent a lot of time trying to be very thoughtful about the roles that I pick and why I'm picking them, he said. And you're bound to slip up and be like, that wasn't right for me, and that didn't fit perfectly. So he regrets it because the movie wasn't successful. He doesn't regret it because... Perhaps. It's hard. To, it's like, it's a coded sort of thing. It almost seems like he's redressing the cultural appropriation right. without directly outing himself and blaming himself. I see. Well, Jake, I tell you what. Uh, we know that you're listening. If uh, you regret it because of the cultural appropriation, uh, you have our forgiveness. Are we not merciful? Also call me. <laughs> I will say that I give Jake Gyllenhaal a massive pass because I really like him as an actor. I really like his acting choices, his, his role choices. I think he's a very good actor. And outside of this one thing, like it does, he doesn't seem to be, he doesn't seem to be in, in ill. What about Alfred Molina and Ben Kingsley? I'll get to them. <laughs> one of the hardest aspects for this production for Jake Gyllenhaal was mastering the English accent. He found working predominantly with a British crew to be very helpful in this regard. Which, of course, is a key part about playing an Iranian is mastering that English accent. Yeah. So that's why he has the Cockney accent. Because mm -hmm. he's, like, learning British from, like, other... Sorry? The, the, the grips yeah. and the electrics and the gaffers and stuff who are likely not speaking to him with the, the Queen's English or whatever. Perhaps, yeah. In his initial meetings with game creator uh, Jordan Mechner, Mike Newell was struck by how, quote, knowledgeable he was about Arabian culture. Oh, my God. He discovered that Mechner was a meticulous researcher and he completely related to him. Now, that's a funny quote because here's a list of some of the anachronisms. The map in the opening scene shows a Persian empire stretching to Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey in the West. Persian rule never again extended this far once Alexander the Great toppled the Archimedes, Arch Archimedes. Archimedes, uh, dynasty in the 4th century BC. As the Persian army is entering a city, a soldier is carrying a pole, carrying on the tip of that, the crescent moon of Islam. The film, according to DVD uh, commentary, takes place during the 4th to 6th century, somewhere around that time. If the film takes place during the 4th to 6th century, BC, uh, not BC, AD, AD. this is uh, predating Islam Iran by about yeah. 400 years, because it was around 1100 And the, the map is from probably Xerxes or Darius, which yeah. is what, like three or 400 BC. And that flag, the other one, is from Cyrus's time. That's why I was like, the only way I can justify this is it's like a fantasy world. And the Hashashin is, uh, was established during the Islamic Persian Empire. Is that yeah. correct, too? So yeah. that's 1100 AD as well. The architecture in the film is post-Islam uh, architecture, yeah. as we mentioned. Uh, especially the palace in Alamut that looks like a mosque with the four minarets. Mm -hmm. The clothing from the film is also post-Islamic style. Mm -hmm. one, so one thing about the clothing, the prince's battle armor is the outfit that the prince wears in Warrior Within, which is the second game out of the Sands of Time trilogy. And his incognito outfit is the prince's outfit from the 2008 video game reboot. Yeah, this is an amalgamation of all the different games into yeah. one outfit. Or one. Yeah, and it, down to like him and the princess walking through the desert and they're lost, and there's a sandstorm. All of that is uh, a reference to the 2008 video game. Critical reactions. As we mentioned, this film was a 36% Rotten Tomato score, which is not 
so hot. It was not screened ahead of time for critics, which is typically not a good sign for blockbuster movies because they don't have faith in the film. They don't think the critical reviews are going to help to sell the film. One review by Brian Tellerco, who is a top critic on Rotten Tomatoes, said, imagine watching someone play, someone else play a video game while other another guy narrates it. Another person, uh, Radian Simon Pillai, top critic, said, the movie has you yearning to steal that dagger and make time jump forward. Ooh. Now, this is a little bit of a longer one, but I kind of want to read quite a bit of this. I'm going to go through it a little bit quicker. But an LA Times article by Chris Lee titled A Whitewash for Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, and The Last Airbender. So one of independent filmmaker and blogger Jahan Zabdar had reacted when he first heard the casting of Jake Gyllenhaal. My first reaction was, really, said Dar, it's insulting that people of color, especially Middle Easterners or South Asians, are not allowed to portray ourselves in these roles. That's a big problem a lot of people in this community are having with this film. Of course, Hollywood has a rich history with this kind of thing. Think John Wayne playing Genghis Khan in uh, The Conqueror, Peter Sellers' bumbling Indian character in The Party, or even more notoriously, Mickey Rooney's buck-toothed Mr. Yuniyoshi character from Breakfast at Tiffany's. Consider the latest evidence. This summer, two of the season's biggest budgeted films have sparked controversy by installing white actors in ethnic parts, and some early fan reactions have varied from indignation to righteous fury to organized revolt over a perceived whitewashing of multi-culty characters, a practice that has come to known as race bending. Camille Alec, project manager for MOST, which is an acronym for Muslims on Screen and Television, a resource center providing Hollywood productions with connections to Muslim actors and accurate information on Muslim populations, had not seen the film but remained sympathetic to the studio's decisions and contends that her experience in the field allows her insight into such casting choices. She said, The hope is to have authentic depiction, but casting directors have huge jobs in front of them. They're trying to find the best person for the part, and when it's a big-budget movie, it's going to come down to a business decision. If a major actor can carry a film, that plays a big part. It's not malicious intent. Okay, I take issue with this. Me too. Because if you're not giving these uh, mi minorities smaller roles, they can't rise to the part of becoming Jake Gyllenhaal's, right? That's part of my issue too. It's like, we, we need a big studio actor. What were you going to say about it? Well, I was going to say, I think that it's problematic in general where Hollywood, anytime there's any kind of West Asian role, whether they're Iranians or Kurdish or Arab, to go to Muslim consultants. Yeah. Because first of all, this movie takes place in what, the year 500 or something? Islam didn't even exist. Yep. So why are you going to Muslim scholars? They right? do the research. They don't know that. So the second thing for me is in, in a lot of these countries, we have more than just Muslims. Mm -hmm. We have Baha'is, we have Jews, we have Christians, we have atheists. And then even within Islam, there's different denominations of Islam. So it's, it's problematic that when we're talking about West Asian representation, every single time the default in Hollywood, if they are going to go down the consultant route, they find like a Muslim organization for screen actors or for screen representation or whatever. Like if you're if you're making a movie or a show that is specifically about a character who's Muslim and his Muslim identity is important to the role or the film, that's one thing. But if you're talking about, oh, how do we have authentic West Asian representation, then you need to broaden that. And it's also not like just hiring someone who's brown either, mm -hmm. like a Spanish guy to play a yeah. Persian dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because Persians can be white. Everyone can be different colors and stuff like that. But, you know, hiring someone from the area itself yeah. who knows how to play the character best. Yeah. Maybe, you know, that would be nice. Yeah. No, I agree. Continuing the LA Times article, 
They wrote, still, those among the anti-race-bending camp feel that such rationalization provides a convenient excuse for keeping the prevailing system, a glass ceiling for actors of color in major movies, firmly in place. During Prince of Persia's scripting process, Disney hired Boom Gen Studios, a consultation and niche marketing firm specializing in creative content about the Middle East to help address issues of historical congruity and cultural uh, contexts. Consultant advised the filmmakers to avoid specifically characterizing religion by setting prints in a myth mythological time before the arrival of Islam. As well, the company worked to assure members of the Iranian-American community that the film has the antithesis of a recent action-adventure movie felt to vilify the people of Persia. We said, this is the anti-300, said Boom Gen's co-founder, Reza Aslan, which I read his previous oh, work. I know Reza and I know Aslan. him, and I, I actually think my views of him have changed considerably to not the greatest. I don't have the greatest thoughts on Reza Aslan. That's for another article. Yeah. But yeah, Boom Gen Studios is essentially this consulting firm run by Reza Aslan, who's going to be like, here's how you should do it. That's why they'd set it to four, 500 pre-Islamic, right. despite having the, all the right. anachronisms. But they were trying to be very proud of the fact that this is 300 because we're not treating them as a, a warmongering. Actually, they are warmongering, but you're not treating them as terrorists. They, because 300 was so awfully one way, they thought yeah. they could like bring a little bit more centrist and be heroes for that. Asked point blank by the Times of London, isn't Gyllenhaal a bit pale to play a Persian? Bruckheimer delivered this history lecture. Persians were very light-skinned, he said. The Turks kind of changed everything. But back in the 6th century, a lot of them were blonde and blue-eyed. Oh, my God. That's Jerry Bruckheimer. Aslan confirmed the veracity of Bruckheimer's historical appraisal. Iranians are Aryans, Aslan asserted. If we bet back to back in time, 1,700 years to mythological era, all Iranians would look like Jake Gyllenhaal. Get out of here. Uh -oh. Okay, no. Uh-oh. So, okay, there's a lot of Iranians who like to purport that we are white. We're not white. There are some Iranians in northern Iran who have pale skin and have lighter eyes. Navid, what color are your eyes? Green. Green. I have uncles who have blue eyes. But then you go further down to the south. We have Afro-Iranians and we have everything in between. Like we have... People who look like me, like Kaveh, like Ruzbe, like Mehtash, like Alex Eskandarha. Like we have lots of different kinds of Iranians and we are like the variety is crazy. But no one looks like Reza Aslan. <laughs> yeah. He's just alone. He's the only one. He's the only one He's who looks like one. that. Yeah. So like, and, and I'll be honest, if Jake Gyllenhaal was walking around in like Mazandaran, he could very well pass as an Iranian. But that's not the problem. The problem here isn't that he looks or does not look Iranian, especially when you when they give him that spray tan and the <laughs> the the eyeliner and all that. But it's it's more just why can't that job go to an Iranian? And the thing that Reza Aslan, sorry, I, I, I jumped in. The Reza Aslan guy said that like Persians are Aryans. Like, okay, the whole Aryan thing came from Persia, right? But then it was taken over by the actual white people. Yeah. Like the French and German and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, I don't know the countries, but those, yeah, those yeah. The, the Austria white and, people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the Aryan that was the Persian, it's, it doesn't mean white. Yeah. Gyllenhaal maintains that Prince of Persia is simply a slice of old-fashioned Hollywood fantasy, a bit of cinema escapism that as, that's as light in spirit as the vintage serials. The heritage, along with the fact that it's based on a video game, took precedence over any real-world context for his character. To me, it's not something I, I gave a lot of thought because all of it is such a fantasy, Hall said last month at San Francisco's WonderCon. It's based on a video game, not something out of history. 
There's nothing real about this. It's just an adventure and it's fun. And it's a str it's strange in a way to hold one part of it and say, that's not real or right. So kind of what you're saying about how you just have to think of it as mythology to get past it. Jack Shaheen, author of Real Bad Arabs and a frequent commentator on Hollywood's distortions of Muslim cultures and people, refused to condemn Prince of Persia's depiction of ancient Iranians until seeing the film. But he critiqued the, he critiqued the film industry's conventional wisdom that mainstream audiences won't shell out to see a non-white lead in a big-budget film. He said, Hollywood is making a mistake. As a, side, as a society, we're not seeing color like we used to. We're more integrated than we used to be. The country is changing, but I don't think Hollywood is at the forefront of that change. Is this one article or like multiple? This was a massive LA Times article. Ah, or... That was the white So you pay for the LA Times thing? I somehow got it. I think I get like 10 free a month. Oh. That's it. I mean, that's the whole thing. That's That was the response at the time. And as we mentioned, I think Jake Gyllenhaal over time kind of felt that the role was a mistake. It's unclear as to whether or not he's saying it was a mistake for his career as a big budget. But I feel like he did kind of get the sense that maybe he shouldn't. Because he literally did copper up his face. Doesn't he? Like, he does do brown face for this movie. Yeah, literally everyone does. All the quote-unquote Iranian characters all have brown face. Yeah. Some of them more than others. Some of them will have the whole spray tan, eyeliner, mascara, and eyeshadow. Some will just be a combination of it, but... I heard uh, Justin Trudeau was going to be in the film too, but they were like, "No, that that brown face was too much." <laughs> the one, the one Indian guy, the one Sikh man on the that they're carrying around, that was supposed to be Justin Trudeau. Yeah. That, okay, that's it for behind the scenes trivia. It was a longer section, but I will balance that out by saying I have absolutely nothing to add to deeper analysis or interpretation. So I will leave it with you guys if you want to talk about the deeper analysis section of this film. The theme of the film. Yeah, let's hear you. Let's hear it. Uh, parkour. Go on. That's Expand. It. That's it? Just no, the parkour? Yeah. I mean, the it's theme. more than I have for deeper analysis. I don't have much, to be honest. Wow. So I, I'm proud of myself. They try to weave something about how they, like. <laughs> about like, brothers and family. Well, kindred and... spirits are connected over time. There's like this family. thing at the beginning. They, yeah. they say that kindred spirits are connected over time, but like, I don't buy it. It was just, a bunch of nothing. That's that's nothing. Yeah. Those that, are just words. Yeah. That, like, there's multiple times throughout the film where they try to say some deep message either at the beginning and end of the film they have this weird like text thing that plays yeah um which doesn't like they don't even play into the destiny of the, this man and this woman meeting and falling in love like they don't even it's play barely that a love story yeah i mean we'll get there to what age poorly yeah your specialty the opening and the ending. Opening shot. The, the, oh, yeah. The, 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 the Kavez. Kavez opening shot corner. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was so. the, um, I mean, the opening shot was like the sun rising over the deserts and that like that scroll, that the yeah. writing that we're talking about. And I, there's nothing to extrapolate from that. It's just setting the stage. Well, and the thing that bumped me about it too was you have text on screen and it's in papyrus, first of all, which if you want to be lazy, <laughs> either use Comic Sans yeah. or papyrus. They went yeah. with papyrus. Yeah, it was papyrus. <laughs> so in papyrus, they have this text scrawl which is like uh they say destiny is great then they show a map of persia and it's like written persia and it shows the size and then there is a voiceover that basically reiterates the text at the beginning about destiny and then it also talks about persia and it describes the map and it's like why are you doing all three of these things <laughs> like just do one and then go into the the story they shoved everything in but then still like 
at every point in time when like Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, Tamina, I mean, that's we're traveling a, somewhere. We're traveling. Yeah. All Tamina of a sudden, would the... describe something. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, now this is something new. Only or, I can do this. Or thing. randomly, the the brother will start a voiceover. Yeah. He'll start narrating something. And you're like, what? Where did this come from? There's just so many points throughout the film that you can tell were probably not intended to be that way that some producer was watching it and was like, oh, actually, I think we need to. It was uh, George Lucas. Great. George Lucas. Yeah. Uh, George Lucas was watching the film and he's like, oh, actually, I, I think we need to put in a narration here. We need that more describes, lightsabers. We need more lightsabers. <laughs> um, it's like poetry, it rhymes. Yeah, it rhymes. That's why the opening shot and the last shot are the same because it rhymes like poetry. Whoa! Why do you think they had the, they felt the need for everyone to speak British? I mean, because it, like, it's cool. If you're changing the language to English, anyways, why can't an American accent? Oh, it's much cooler, bro. Think I think it's because like in fantasy film, it's always like you have British accents and stuff. Best scene, Faran, your favorite scene of the movie? I couldn't think of one. Like the the best one that I could think of was the first time that he uses the dagger. That's my favorite scene. Too. Yeah, it's my best scene. It's like the only scene in the movie that's like, all right, this is kind of cool. It's cool. every time he uses the dagger is cool in my opinion. I have yeah. a different one. Yeah, what's yours? Yeah, yeah what's yours? It's uh, when Prince Toss uh, removes <laughs> Princess Tamina's veil, and everyone gasps. You're like, because <laughs> yeah. oh! she's attractive. Yeah. yeah, like like calm down, dudes. Like she's the only female character in the entire movie. Yeah. Oh, there there's was like, like some background. Other, yeah. There was like two, three background there, ones. There's one scene where he falls into the. I guess it's like a harem. He like falls into, yeah. and then there's Very all these Aladdin. women who start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There were like a bunch of I they must be references to Aladdin. Like yeah. him running around in the street as a kid from with stolen apple and whatever. Riding him a carpet. landing riding a carpet. <laughs> him landing into the room with the uh the like with all the women. And then the only other women in the movie, there's like three other background women carrying around food during the race. Yo, during the ostrich race, they had the numbers one yeah two. i noticed that right the, yeah the, during the ostrich race they had numbers on people's backs and they were in english there were english numbers one and yeah. two like it wasn't even like roman numerals it was like straight up latin text numbers was it they were arabs right those ostrich people i don't know least favorite scene Navi. So my least favorite scene was uh when prince tuss removes princess tamina's veil and everyone uh, the gasps. Same, <gasps> same scene? Same scene. It was your favorite scene and least favorite and scene? least favorite scene, yeah. <laughs> for the, the same emotional reason. roller coaster that yep. scene must have been yep. for you. <laughs> uh, Kava, what was your least favorite scene? When they first discuss, when the king dies from the poison rope, because it's so confusing what's happening to him. Yeah. Because poison doesn't do that. So I guess it's mythological or it's like mystical. It's magic poison. But, but they're so quick to assume it's Jake Gyllenhaal that it's confounding to logic. It's yeah. Like yeah. Literally the last person to have handed it to him. But it's, they don't stop to th- like everybody just gather your thoughts for it's like, one why would second. He kill us, like, but he's not even next in line. Like Yeah, it's it's just like they're like literally it takes such a and then I remember later on being annoyed because it's like he's also so sure it's his brother yeah. that did it. And I was and when I did believe it was gonna be the brother, I didn't actually think that Ben Kingsley turn was gonna happen necessarily right away. Yeah. Like, oh, they're going with the brother being the villain. I was like, why are you so quick to assume it's your brother? Yeah. Everyone's so quick to assume this clearly must have been the person who did it. Even Jake Gyllenhaal, when he's like, clearly it was my brother who gave it to me. It's like, why? Let's all just stop and think for two seconds and like discuss this. So that was my least favorite scene because I thought it catapults the rest of the story into action. Yeah. And it's based on such uh, uh, flimsy logic. Logic, yeah. Um, Maybe that's why the brothers are so quick to be like, you know what? 
You're right. Yeah. Mm, yeah, you wouldn't stab yourself yeah. if you weren't. You know, yeah. yeah. Oh, he stabbed also, why himself. Why did he stab himself to, to prove the time travel? Why didn't he just be like, hey, press this button? And then he rewinds it. And yeah, he's check like, this yeah, out. Oh, right. whoa. Press right. the this conversation. Look, look yeah. what happens. Yeah. Well, that's that's a nitpick. Hold on. We're at nitpicks. Okay, sorry. They're not there yet. Navi, you were going to add yeah. something? So on the note of the, the cloak, whatever, Ben Kingsley's character, Nazem, Nazam, his hands... Uh-huh. Are supposed to be burnt, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the only scene that they're burnt in is when um, Daston sees it. it. Yeah. And then magically, it's all good. But anyways. That's a nitpick as well. We'll get there. Okay, let's just Um, do nitpick. No, wait. I didn't get my my least favorite scene. Oh. It's the whole ostrich ostrich sequence. Like that whole thing. I'm like. That's interesting. I I was like, why, why is this in the movie? I hated Alfred Molina's character. It just everything about it. I also wrote, um, like, how does Alfred Molina know what Daston looks like? Because he's like, oh, you bear an awful resemblance to the, like. This is the sexiest person alive. This happened like Jake Gyllenhaal five so. minutes ago. How did? How, first of all, how do you already know that he's wanted? Do you Ostriches know what I mean? carry um, messages, <laughs> the, the messages like pigeons. The thing is, he also mentions that he lives in the Valley of the Slaves specifically because no one comes there. So how did he get the information? How does he know what he looks like? Like, it's not like they have photos or whatever. Then the other thing I wrote here was... One, one thing that I did like about that that Valley of the Slaves part was that they they make it sound like there's a valley with slaves and all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, we don't have slaves. That's all propaganda. It's, uh, it's just that way to get away from taxes, which I find interesting because, one... Everyone, like 300, is like, oh, Persians had slaves, blah, 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 which slaves had been outlawed at that point by Persia. Like, slavery was outlawed in Persia a long time ago. By Cyrus the Great. Yeah, right? Was it Cyrus or Darius? It's Cyrus the Great. Cyrus. Um, But it was reintroduced later. But at this point, based on their fake timeline or whatever, there wouldn't have been slavery and I can also see why this is like the anti-300. Like, that's kind of a response to 300 because 300 is like, oh, Spartans are free, Persians had slaves, all this stuff. Um, but then the fact that he's like, oh, we're trying to avoid taxes, I thought was funny because P- Persia was one of the first nations to introduce taxes. Um, and that's how they paid for their big roads and for social services and for matern- maternity leave for women. Um how they could afford to pay women twice the wage of men for the same labor jobs. All these things was because of taxes. They even have like um, employment insurance and things like that where... Work? Yeah. So for example, if you were... If let's say you had an orchard, right? And you would give either X amount of your fruit to, to taxes or the value of X amount of fruit to the government. On a year where there was drought or you didn't produce enough fruit to make your living, you would go to the to the office and you'd be like, hey, or the municipal office, and you'd be like, hey, this year I actually reported a loss or I didn't, I couldn't grow any fruit. So they'd be like, okay, the last few years you gave X amount of dollars or X amount of fruit. Here's money back from, from the money that you contributed to your employment insurance. And this is like- That's crazy. Thousands of years ago. So I just thought it was like an interesting reference to to the taxing. Even though I still hated that whole sequence. <laughs> it was the one one thing in that sequence I liked. That's all interesting. That's all I'll say about it. Why? 
Do you want to go to Dan that's poetry? Sure. Can I go first? Yeah. For me, favorite pulling a favorite quote, which I'm assuming both of you guys did as well, is every line that Alfred Molina has, because I loved his character in this. I see. I think he's so campy and over the top that it's like, if you're actually going to do this movie, he's re- like, I also like Ben Kingsley, but he's playing this role with stoic sophistication. Mm. And Alfred Molina is like, this is camp. This is like drag queen level, over the top performance. Let me give it, because this is Disney shenanigans. And I feel like he's the only one who like literally is giving legitimacy. He's making the film illegitimate by playing the character too over the top. You know what I mean? That's one of the reasons why I didn't like it. But that's why I like it, because he's he's like, this isn't, it's like he's not taking the assignment seriously because it's not a serious assignment. You know, like I, it felt like but, a Sam Raimi movie in a pirate or a Sam Raimi character in a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. That's just because you've seen Spider-Man too. No, but I, what I mean is like Sam Raimi is known for camp, and Alfred Molina's character in this was very campy because I think he looked at the script and the source and like I'm not going to take this seriously. At- sure, maybe, but it, which I think I it, enjoyed. You didn't okay, like fair it, enough. but damn, that's poetry. So my favorite line is any line he says. But no, you have to pick one. Yeah. The black thirsty slaves murdering their masters. <laughs> That's a good story. It's well told, ever evolving. Yeah, but alas, untrue. But the skeletons that we saw. I the bought front, those from a gypsy in Bukhara. Now, I crafted our lurid reputation in order to fend off the most insidious evil that's been lurking this forsaken country of ours. You know what I'm talking about? Taxes. Not these Persians with their armies, their fortresses, their roads. <laughs> Who pays for it all, eh? The small businessman. See, that's why I started a little campaign to spread some false notoriety. I spread it like a venerable disease in a Turkish harem. He said venerable, mm. which I noticed, not venereal disease, mm. which I think is a Disney thing. Probably. I also like when he said those vipers, because uh, Jake Gyllenhaal says those vipers were controlled by assassins for years. They were the covert killing force of the Persian king until my father ordered them disbanded. And he goes, this secret government killing activity. That's why I don't pay taxes. Yeah. <laughs> like everything. He's, I, I did like that. I saw, And his, his relationship with his, um, his, his kind of hired assassin, the um, Mbaka. Mbaka. Sisu? Mbaka. Yeah. Yeah, Sisu. Yeah, I really like that relationship. He's... And I thought like th- that would make its own funny movie. Like I'd like yeah, that yeah. relationship. So, uh, I mean, I'll just cut ahead to it too. Um, Alfred Molina is my favorite performance too. We'll get to that when we get to it. But. That's hands down for a movie this dumb. Might as well take the dumbest performance. So go for it, uh, either of you guys. Want to take uh, far and wide? You say your damn that's poetry and a favorite performance. For me, the my damn that's poetry is there's a moment where Tamina says to the prince, "You know, you really walk like one. Head held high, chest out, long stomping strides." The walk of a self-satisfied Persian prince. The reason that that stood out to me is I remember as a kid, my dad and my friend's dad's like always saying like, keep your back straight, keep your back straight. And I don't know if that's a Persian thing or not, but my non-Persian friends, especially a lot of my white friends were very slouchy in class. So I don't know if it's a cultural thing, but after watching that movie, I was like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I do have a great walk as a Persian. They got that right. (laughs) You want to just couple that with your favorite performance? I don't really have one. That's the thing. Like, I genuinely thought they're all fine. I don't think anyone's performance in this movie is particularly good. I don't think anyone's bad. I think everyone is fine. 
I would maybe give it to Jake Gyllenhaal had he better nailed the Persian or the the British accent. Yeah. But and to be honest, like it sounds like it he it does sound like a British accent. I think it's just the wrong British accent. But uh yeah, I don't know. Maybe Ben Kingsley, but I feel like even Ben Kingsley was like sleepwalking through his performance. Like you get a minimal performance out of Ben Kingsley and it's going to be good. Navidad, Navid. Um <laughs> So my favorite quote was, um, "You can't organize an ostrich race with just one ostrich." I love that. And immediately he says, "Did you know that ostriches have suicidal tendencies?" <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I had that too. See, any line <laughs> Molina says, but the, the the Alfred Molina's character, I don't know. He didn't have the same sort of gravitas I don't, I, it was weird like because at one point he wanted money and then at, at, towards the end he was helping out and like um running away on a horse like in place of jake gyllenhaal's character like what happened there you know what i mean yeah like the character was was changing yeah to me yeah based on whatever was convenient for the scene yeah so yeah. It was kind of a, it was kind of weird the character. So my favorite performance. Um, so at one point, um, the soldiers are celebrating after the uncle was killed. Spoiler alert! There's one extra. The dude is giving it his all. If you see it, he's celebrating like he won the lottery. Yeah. And like he was yelling and stuff. And um, big ups to that guy. That was my favorite performance. Uh, okay, great. And what uh, that's your favorite performance. Extra number 7513. Word. <laughs> Nitpicks, hot takes, and what aged poorly? Oh, my God. I have so many. <laughs> I'm going to skip over the ones we've already talked about. Yeah. But, okay, right off the bat, there's a point in the movie where they talk about how growing up, Daston used to spit out the pomegranate seeds. And I was like, has the writer of this script never actually eaten a pomegranate? What self-respecting Persian would spit out the pomegranate yeah. seeds? I don't understand. Because, like, you eat... Like, I, I wrote that line, too. Yeah. Pick. Yeah, that didn't make sense to me. Also, there's a point where they, um, they're, they like, hiding out the sandstorm. And he's like, only a castle princess or whatever would think that she could outrun a sandstorm. We need to camp for the night. And so they set up camp and they go to sleep. And then in the morning, they just walk out of the tent. And I'm like, no, you'd be like 50, 60 feet underground. Like you would have to dig your way out of the sand. And the horse just like lies down and sleeps through the the sandstorm. Like that horse would be dead. But no, they wake up and the horse just gets up and then they leave. That was a nitpick for me. Oh, yeah. The geography is all over the place. Like at one point, they're on the western side of Iran. And then they're like, oh, we have to pass the Hindu Kush and all this stuff, which is on the other side. Also, why didn't Dastan use the dagger to save Garsiv? Because he had sand left and he watched his brother walk out of the tent and get shot, right? Oh, yeah. He should have just pressed the button, rewound it. Garsiv would have walked back in the tent and he would have been like, don't go outside, it's a trap. And then the two of them together can like fight off whatever. Then he doesn't even need the sand to convince his brother anymore. Toss. You can just Toss? <laughs> Yeah. You can just walk into Toss's temple with Garsif. Garsif can be like, oh, I captured our brother. Walk him in and be like, yo, our uncle straight up screwed over our dad. So those are those are my nitpicks. If I um, can think of any more, I'll throw them your way. I think I set them all. 
throughout the yeah, me too. podcast. I would say the same thing. The ending I thought didn't make sense. That's a huge nitpick for me. Like we've just we figured out we yeah, can't yeah. figure out why. Yeah. We've come to this conclusion, right? Why just she said if he puts it in the thing, the world will end. And it's like, no, it won't. Yeah. Could have just not worried so much about it. And then that's it for nitpicks. So like what I have I have a few more nitpicks. Okay, Alfred Molina's character says Turkish harem. Turkey didn't exist at this point. So that that's another one. At one point, Tamina is like, oh, don't worry about their archers. Persians are known for uh, having bad aim and weak bows, which is the complete opposite of what the the truth is. Like, and I'm not just saying this to be like, oh, we were great archers. Like, no, Persian archers were so good that like, that's what they're, that's what Persian military is known for. Like in ancient history, Spartans were good warriors, like different nations had different things. Persians were known specifically for being incredible with a bow to the point where uh, Persians would learn how to shoot uh, bows on horseback with two hands riding the horse without grabbing the reins and they could shoot like three arrows a second like they were that good but the thing is like right after she says that the whole Jake Gyllenhaal going up the um the wall with the, the oh yeah the they're shooting stuff. the arrows and he's so, like it's like perfectly accurate yeah yeah so I think that's why they're like she's like downplaying it like she's like Oh, they suck, and then sort of they show that they're really good. Oh, maybe. But the arrow right? almost hits him too. Remember? Yeah, the arrows almost hits him. There's also like the, the the myth of Arash too. You know Arash's name. Yeah. The etymology of his name is he's the. Do you know about this, Navi? You're looking at me. You're gone. Arash is like the uh, the the uh, yeah. archer who was it. Arash, the guy who like yeah, they said like pulled you know, it so you, hard. You throw yeah. the arrow wherever Jeff it lands, it'll be where Iran's border is, yeah. the Persian Empire's yeah, border. Yeah. And he put all his love or something into it that he the arrow was able to fly forever or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He died. Yeah. yeah. That's what they say. Okay. I have a few more. All of a sudden, the snake was sentient. Like when it goes after the dagger, it sees, I think, Tamina or somebody and it decides not to kill them. And it looks at the dagger and it goes and swallows the dagger and comes back. Like, how, oh, do, you, yeah. how do you communicate that to the dagger? Like the whole time, it's showing the snake and it's just a well-trained snake. And then all of a sudden, the snake is sentient. Should we talk about what aged poorly? What aged poorly? I I, w- I would say I mean, I'm sure Farn you already have this, but the represent the female lead is so underwritten, yeah, to the point where it's insulting. I was thinking that like Avasna, the deer has stronger female written characters than this does, mm-hmm. and that was written in the sixties, sixties, yeah, yeah, no, seventies, um, seventies, and in Iran, in Iran, exactly. It's not so much that it's underwritten, but it, what's worse is that. It thinks it hasn't underwritten the character. He tells her at one point, he goes, she's not, you're not my type, right? And she goes, I'm not some desperate slave girl. I'm actually capable of voicing my own thoughts. Oh, dear princess. If you really think you are, you are clearly not uh, capable of voicing your own thoughts. Not in this movie anyways. And she literally becomes a prize to be one at the end. They, they plan on the two of them getting married because the king has now declared it. But because time is reversed, they've never even met. Yeah. So they don't even know each other now. And it's like Jake Gyllenhaal says some witty thing. And she smiles and it's like, and they lived happily ever after. It's like, she doesn't know who he is. He knows who she is. Yeah. Because they spent the whole movie's worth of time together. But by the end, she's essentially, they've suggested they've agreed to get married. And it's like, you're a stranger to her. You're literally the prize. You're the trophy at the end of this mission. But she sees the dagger, right? So uh, I think yeah. that the Jake She Gyllenhaal, assumes that she, she assumes she's like, oh, something went down. When so that dude was taking the dagger to a safe place, 
quote unquote, you know. But then like this dude brought it back. So she's like, she's a little weirded out. And then in the um like the courtyard where when they're walking, she doesn't like jump into his arms or anything to kiss, right? She's like a little intrigued. Yeah. Because Jake Gyllenhaal is sexy, first of all. Okay. Well, I thought they were gonna do what the video game does. And now that I think earlier I said he he goes back in time and he kills the vizier. I don't even think that's what happens. I think at the end of the game, he goes back in time and he sneaks into the princess's tent. And the implication is he tells her, hey, we're about to invade and do all this stuff and a bunch of your people are going to die. Um, and it's largely because we were tricked. So you and I need to stop this whole thing. And then I think the implication is that once he finishes telling her the story of what happened, the two of them prevent the entire battle from happening. And then the vizier is arrested and then everyone lives happily ever after. That would have been a better ending because the dad even says to to Daston at one point, he's like, yeah, a good thing was that you prevented a lot more deaths than you did. But a great thing would have been if you could have prevented the entire battle to begin with. I thought he would like that was the setup to, oh, he's going to rewind time to before the battle and then apprehend the uncle. But he doesn't. He still just goes to after the battle. So and why did uh, Toss at first, the first time around, yeah, pre time travel, he was really interested in Tamina, yeah, right? She was like, Oh, I want this to be my like number, whatever wife. But then after time travel, he's like, All right, this girl's yours, Jake. I'm not because, interested. You know why? Because the movie's stupid. Oh, no. But that's a good point, yeah. Uh, any of what age poorly for you guys? The CGI. I actually was... had the the woman like damsel in distress sort of like she was she wasn't helpful in some situations. You know what I mean? Like just walking around like being like, oh no, I can't do anything. You know that's that kind of aged poorly. Like if you do that these days, people are going to be like, yo. Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. And usually, typically, you want more than one female character in your movie of yeah. 20, 30, 40 actors. In the video game, she's like an expert archer. Oh, all the music with, uh, like, all the racist music that plays. <laughs> like, whenever the, the, the assassins show up, there's, like, a Sorna that plays. But it, like, doesn't even play a tune. It's like someone spamming a Sorna. It's just like, and then the bad guys show up. And you're like, what? what is that music? It's like a poorly done Wonder Woman music. Yeah, you know, when yeah, she shows yeah, up. yeah. I guess the last, the last of the the what didn't age well for me is everyone being in brown face and having spray tans and eyeliner and eyeshadow and mascara and all this stuff to make them look brown. That did not age well. Double feature lineup. Navi, do you have a double feature lineup that you have in mind for a movie that you would see this nicely paired um, with? Yeah, so... After watching this, I would probably want to watch something that's uh, a bit more historically accurate. So I'll go with uh, 300. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> He's so proud of himself. You guys know me so well. <laughs> yeah. Mine is probably Tomb Raider with Angelina Jolie. That's not a bad Because I'm like, eh, you have a double feature video game lineup. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. Uh, I initially wrote Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one, because yeah. I think it's the only good one. Yeah, and they have the same studio, same producer. Yeah, different sort of takes on the swashbuckling sort of adventure story. But I wanted to give a really um, keener film buff uh, double feature as well because there's a film that I heard about Tarantino talk about on a podcast for uh, they did an episode on um, 
public domain movies that are now in the public domain mm. that anyone can just like watch or screen or whatever. Mm. And it's a 1947 film called The Exile by Max Ophis. Okay. Which I watched because it's on YouTube for free. And yeah. I loved. Like, honestly, we should watch it together sometime. Okay. It's a black and white movie. It's a pirate movie. Swashbuckling movie. It's called The Exile. The, the, the logline is Charles II, the king of England, finds himself in exile in Holland where he falls in love with a beautiful farm girl. So it's like a swashbuckling pirate adventure story about a prince that has been exiled from his hometown for like nefarious trader purposes. And while in exile, falls in love with this woman and together they have to save the day. So I'm like, it's almost like beat for beat. I mean, this is a very classic structure too. Like Lion King is essentially this too, right? Your mm. uncle betrays you. You have to exile. You come back a hero, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, told, actually Lion King would actually work as a double feature too. <laughs> but I want to give The Exile, 1947 by Max The Lion Ophels. of Persia. What'd you yeah. say? What's it called? The Exile. Max Ophels is my... No, I think my answer was the best. Yep. You guys are losers. Did you notice, by the way, how many movies Toby Kebbell was in that were blockbuster films around this time that all failed at the box at the box yeah. office? Who Which is, is why you don't see him in anything anymore. Yeah. Toby Kebbell. The Toby brother. Kebbell. Uh, oh. Not Toss, the other one. Garsif. Okay, I'm pulling up his IMDb. He was he Dr. Was? Doom in the Fantastic Four. That's right. In Fantastic Okay, I'm pulling up his... His IMDb. Because it's actually impressive how many blockbuster films he was in that Dead failed. Man's Shoes is really good, eh? Dead Man's Shoes. Yeah, so he was in Alexander, which was supposed to be this big, massive epic after the success of Troy, and it failed. He was in... He was in Planet of the Apes. Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Oh, which movie is that? <laughs> uh, you don't want to see it. Uh, he was in Sorcerer's Apprentice, Wrath of the Titans, which was the second one. He was in Fantastic, which is the Fantastic. It's the Fantastic Four movie where the A is a number four. So people call it Fantastic, which was also supposed to spawn like a series, and it did not. The most recent one, yeah, right. Played Doctor Doom. Bad. Yeah, he's in the Ben Hur remake, which bombed at the box office. The only blockbusters that he was in that did well recently, he doesn't even play a human. I'm sorry. Like, there's the Planet of the Apes movies where he plays an ape. And he's also in Warcraft, and I, I, I don't think doesn't he play like an orc or something in it? Can this be a modern Hollywood remake? Uh, okay, I would just say obviously this is the Hollywood remake of something else that could have been better. But you wanted to recategorize this title into something else? Yeah, I said well, we should we should say why it's a Hollywood hit job, and I think we've already talked about it. But we could what we could maybe say is if we were to remake this today, if we were given the reins, and we're like, hey. We want to make a Prince of Persia movie. Here's whatever budget you want. How are you going to make it? And I feel like, for me at least, I'm like, get Iranian writers. Get like all Iranians in like the key creative roles and Iranian cast. You can, if there's a need from the studio to have some non-Iranians in it, you write them in, but don't write them in as Iranian characters. Write them in as something else. I would also try to be a little closer to the video game. Because the video game has a proven track record where the story is engaging and people like it. And I would probably pull more from Shahnameh. What about you guys? Um, I wouldn't make the movie. <laughs> um, I'm definitely putting myself in the movie. I need a job, okay? I would make the, I would scale the film down. I'd make it down to like a single heist event. Okay. It doesn't have to be so... I mean, I don't mind the fact that it's like a swashbuckle adventure parkour movie. Mm. Given the reins, I'd give full Iranian cast. Give the directing job to someone like Ali Abbasi, who could do mm. a darker tone and almost make this story take place over one night. Mm. Take a story from 40 Thieves, mix it with per- Prince of Persia or 
you know, I mean, sorry, a thousand one, a thousand nights, one nights or, yeah. um, you know, take some aspects of Sean and like, just turn it into a single heist story. That's what I would do. I wrote a treatment for a Prince of Persia trilogy of films that takes the, the, the skeleton of it is the video game, but it takes a lot from Shahnameh and from A Thousand and One Nights. Hollywood execs, if you're listening, Ubisoft, if you're listening, I already have a treatment. Final thoughts and grades. Navi, I'd like you to start. Give what, what grade do you give this? And what are your final thoughts on the film? Anything? A plus plus. <laughs> Flawless? Flawless. Any final thoughts? Literally no thoughts. Like my brain is empty. My actual score is a C. What's your grade, Kabe? C minus. C minus from Kabe. C minus from Kabe. I am giving this a D plus plus, which means the Cinema Rex official rating for Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time is C minus minus. Final thoughts? Uh, my thoughts for this were completely in this. I think that in general, um, the movie had the potential to be something really cool for Iranians in the diaspora who grew up with poor representation, tons of racist jokes thrown at us growing up in elementary school and in high school, drawing on the vilification of our people in the news and the vilification of our people in movies like Not Without My Daughter and like 300. And it had a golden opportunity here to take an IP that was well known at the time and it completely squandered it. And for that, I think it's unforgivable. For my final thoughts, I want to say that we went this entire podcast without once mentioning Mike Newell. Don't you find that interesting? And you're looking at me confused. Well, exactly. Mike Newell. Is that the director? That's the director of the film. And the fact that we didn't mention the director of this film's name once speaks so much about the massive catastrophe that is this film. <laughs> because this is not a film that was made by any one director that had passion. It wasn't made with heart. This was a part of a factory machine that said, here's an IP that is recognizable, that has a built-in audience, and we can cash in. And I think when you look at the fact that we talk about a movie like this and never once mention that he's the director of Mona Lisa Smile, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Donnie Brasco, Pushing Tin, Four Weddings and a Funeral. This is a very accomplished director who's done a lot of great work that I'm sure he really was passionate about. This is a for hire job for him. It didn't matter who the director was. If this film had been made by Iranians who were passionate about telling a version of the story on a mass market scale, it would come out differently in my opinion. I often wonder if this film had been better, would it have excused all of the whitewashing? If this had come out with like matrix style numbers, would we have given it a pass? Probably not, but it probably would have hurt less because not only did they bastardize our culture and fetishize our names, but the content in the end was subpar. And it just kind of, it perpetuates this idea that our stories are probably not sellable or marketable or worth telling because when they've now put it to the test, here's the, uh, con here's the end results is a subpar film, a sub subpar film that nobody wanted to see, nobody really liked. And I think inherently that is the true crime, not the fact that they just did this, but they also did it with zero heart and therefore the film fails. Mm. Though it had some interesting choreography, some fun parkour, a performance by Alfred Molina that I can only describe as beautifully camp, which is why I gave it a C-. This is a bad movie. And it goes, it deserves to be our first number one film in our, what will soon be a Hall of Fame of Hollywood hit jobs as we continue this journey of Iranian cinema 
Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank um, you for being here. Was this the first episode you guys did with the where it was, a, it was about a movie that didn't have an animal in its name? Almost. There's a deer, cow, bear, spider, <laughs> yeah. hunchback. Most of them. Mouse. <laughs> <shit> <laughs> hunchback. Uh, do you want to promote anything while we're here? Because we have like four listeners that will probably check out everything. Oh, yeah. Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah, you're a big cool, cool man. Aghanavidagha's Instagram name is Aghanavidagha. A-G-H-A-N-A-V-I-D-A-G-H-A. Is that correct? Maybe. I don't know. I didn't uh, he's very, very funny. He's got 40,000 followers, essentially. If you speak Farsi or understand Farsi or have the capability of reading subtitles on some videos, yeah, nah, I strongly no, recommend no checking out his content. I'm a huge fan. Farhan is a medium fan. And um, I actually hate him. <laughs> yeah, he told me. And I want to thank you for joining us for our first ever Hollywood hit job. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, guys. Na- Navid can also be found in an upcoming Iranian Canadian slash Iraqi because the direction is Iraqi. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, when is so, that coming? <laughs> uh, I think it's coming out this year or festival this, this year. year. It was initially called Harbor House, but I think the title has changed. They yeah, changed it? The, the title is, is going through a change. But if you look up either navid or if you look up rob michaels who's the director we swear he is iraqi rob michael yeah his family last name <laughs> navid you were you worked with him yeah, yeah, I know. yeah he just, <laughs> the film's also starring sammy azero who you might also recognize from Toronto. Mm-hmm. baran thank you so much thank you to our listeners play that music yo navid thank you again play that outro and to all our listeners the omi de didar navid take us away with a freestyle rap go hey Check it, I'm rapping, I'm stepping up to the plate, hitting the bat and smoking the crack and hashish, hashishi, hashashins, hashashins, I'm doing hash with the teriyak on top of a mosque and praying. Yo, 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 yippee, yo, yippee, yay, Cinemarect Podcast. The name is kind of weird because you're kind of like foreshadowing podcasts will go up in flames at some point, you know, but anyways... Uh, <laughs> Music for Cinema Rex was written and performed by Sohail Sadinejad.